SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Who wants an ale? There you go. Here you go. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time we are looking at uh, something we've been wanting to do for a while, and uh, it came to mind because I looked at the our downloads, and when we did the Lord of the Rings live-action films a few years ago, those did really well. So we might as well do the Hobbit live-action trilogy. We're going to start uh, this episode with the Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. Uh, with me as Thrasher. The Goblin Cleaver. <laughs> Alex. Ah, uh, no, see, this is a center Earth. You want to take a left on Wilshire Bureau of Lard. Yeah, no, it happens all the time. That's Middle Earth. Remember, left on Wilshire. <laughs> and uh, we have a, a very special guest, Jonathan Dunn. He's part of the Greenlit Podcast Network, as uh, we are here at SequelCast 2. And he, not only does he do uh, media production uh, as the day job, his podcast is video game related with R3 Sense. Um, welcome to the SequelCast. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I think before we talk about The Hobbit, uh, I did listen to that Golden Sun episode of your, mm. your podcast, as you suggested. And has anyone else played that game on Game Boy Advance? I can't say that I have, unfortunately. What was it called again? Golden Sun. Oh, it sounds familiar, but no, I've not played it. It's like a um, Final Fantasy sort of RPG, but it's uh, I think it's done by the Shining Force people because the dialogue, right, yeah. dialogue sound effects and kind of that interface... It is sort of the same, but it's turn-based battles. But yeah, just really lively uh, early RPG for that system. And um, I know you're trying to rank like the top 100 video games at all time, and you're at number eight. So what happens when you're done? Well, I mean, we've yeah, I mean, we spent about two and a half years now counting down from number 100 all the way up to where we are now. Uh, we've we've been uh, this sort of current season we're calling it is uh, going through the top 10, and we're trying to intersperse. Uh, episodes with special episodes uh, where we're interviewing uh, various people in the industry like uh, Gabriel Rosa who's director of uh, the game Blue Fire and uh, JP from JP Switch Mania and uh, heads up premium edition games. Uh, We've got an upcoming episode with Kezia Burrows the actress who played Amanda Ripley in Alien Isolation did like the mocap for Aloy in Horizon um, so we're, we're trying to sort of sow the seeds of sort of branching out of the format uh, because, yeah, in, it, well, inevitably, no matter how many times we, we crowbar in extra episodes to lengthen uh, the journey up to number one, we are <laughs> going to reach that. Uh, but um, I think all, all three of us on the podcast are, are dedicated to, um, uh, to to continuing it in some some way uh, after after the end of the countdown count up. I don't know what way that goes. Yeah. And I guess speaking of The Hobbit and video games, did you ever play any of The Hobbit video games? I, I didn't. I remember the uh, the Hobbit game coming out. Was it on the GameCube and PS2? Yeah, yeah, they did GameCube. Game Boy Advance had one. It was a bit more uh, uh, cutesy than kind of the Lord of the Rings stuff they had out at the time. 
Yeah, I, I I remember it coming out, but I never I never played it. The Lord of the Rings games I've, I've played played a few of, but um, yeah, I was a little bit I was I was um, it, it felt like a bit of a curveball, be it having like such a tight um, vision over the Lord of the Rings franchise for then a Hobbit game to come out that actually had no kind of uh, visual link to to do the films or to to that series of video games as well, and I was uh, yeah, sort of blindsided me a little bit, but yeah. it, it did look, it did look good fun. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't. Bad. I think people kind of bashed it because um, the Lord of the Rings movies were more serious, as is the book, to be frank, and, and we'll, we'll get into that. But um, it was also weird because you had the licensing mm. issues where you had the movie license, but then um, a different company, actually Sierra, uh, of all companies, uh, it was still around back then, had the license from the Tolkien estate for the books, but they couldn't make people look like the movies. Yeah. So you, and you had a, a Fellowship of the Ring game that was not very good, not not related to the Two Towers game based on the movies. And so, I mean, it got a bit strange and you had, what was it, Battle for Middle-Earth, all that stuff was around the same time. So it was a pretty rich period for uh, Tolkien games. I mean, um, I still think that the, uh, the 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 peak of, to be honest, I think the peak of most yeah. mo- movie tie-in games uh, was the uh, was, were the other Lego games. Uh, it mm-hmm. seems that the, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 incredible sort of light touch and and almost parody nature of some of them, uh, they're they're so much fun and they seem to capture kind of like the essence of the of the franchises they're representing. Uh, I think almost as you know as good as any any other sort of official uh, tie-in. Um, I mean, the Lord of, Lord of the Rings has you know had some some excellent games, but the the the, the Lego Hobbit games are. Uh, very very good <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i like that about the lego spin-off games because it does take a little bit of like the series over seriousness i can get with some of the video games you know mm. it just uh it makes it a little more fun i think well yeah. that's it that's it it's the gentle playfulness like, like mm-hmm. you, you get the essence of the characters and the settings but then it's just like you're a kid again slamming your action figures together <laughs> exactly yeah it's yeah, always I, done with, it's always done with respect i think it's not taking the mick yes. out of it it's sort of you know done with uh done with love and affection <laughs> oh, I, I like the the gameplay too you could have anyone from like a little child to a to a gamer to a grandmother or something playing it and i think yeah. everyone can have their own fun i might have a uh a nephew who's um i think we call it like like special needs they used to call it disabled i don't know what they what phrase they use in the uk but anyhow he was playing how oh, i think like lego marvel or something and some character with a jetpack and he was just flying around in a circle in the corner not really <laughs> collecting the stuff as his grandpa was uh you know playing the game and he's like what are you doing you're supposed to you know get the key to open the door and he's like i'm having a parade and excellent. The Lego excellent. games, you can do that. I mean, you can yeah. do a mixture free form to a point. And uh, no, I, I think they're they're lovely done with respect, and they can be challenging if you want to uh, collect all the the bits and bobs and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah, very very addictive as well. Especially the when they, I mean, I know that they're they're releasing the like nine film series of Star Wars Lego games at some point. But I remember I bought just the, I think it was then it was like it was six films worth of, of star wars games and yeah, yeah. once once it got its hooks in me and uh trying to collect everything that was it i was obsessed for 40 50 hours of just throwing toys around but yeah 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 <laughs> oh there's just a fun series i mean they've delayed that they're calling it skywalker saga they've delayed right, it a few yeah. times but it's supposed to be more open world and it's not oh. i thought it was going to be a remake of what they've already come out with but i guess it's not you can sort of fly to different planets and do things so it sounds uh, pretty ambitious Oh, that's quite. Yeah. That's quite cool. That's yeah, quite yeah, cool. yeah. I think they do mix it up some with the the uh, formula. Unfortunately, um, more to the point with this, with the Lego Hobbit game, 
uh, Lego The Hobbit uh, only covers the first two movies. They were going to do yeah. the third movie as DLC, <laughs> but I think sales were not quite what they wanted. Yeah, it's a shame. But, mm-hmm. uh... it is. But, but, but what's there is very good, you're right. And they have more RPG elements in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings uh, Lego, um, as is befitting of the genre. Okay, so, I mean, before we dive into this first movie... Uh, I guess we can talk briefly about our history with The Hobbit, like the book or, or what we had experience with before. Um, I'll, I'll start. I, You know, The Hobbit was my dad read it to my sister and I, and we were very little. And I, I saw the 70s cartoon as as a kid. And I never thought I'd see a Hobbit. I talked uh, to you about this, Jonathan, a bit on the Slack. But um, I never thought I'd see a Hobbit movie in my life. Like Willow, I thought would be the closest I'd ever get because it had a, little, a bunch of little people in it. And uh, and I, I, I unexpectedly cried watching this first one in the theater, not because the the movie necessarily, but just to hear the lines in a hole. There was a Hobbit when the story really gets started, and uh, and just the way Peter Jackson did Hobbiton is one of my favorite things in all those movies. It was just a, a nice uh, nice start to things. Um, Alex, yeah, it was such you? a it was such a wild thing because you know we grew up like uh, you know we grew up with the Tolkien stories and everything. And like you said, we had these like fantasy films like, you know, Willow and Crawl and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, this is like Hobbit-esque, you know, and you had the animated ones from the 70s, which were really cool. And then, you know, when you had the initial um, Middle Earth trilogy, you know, with the Two Towers and Return of the King, it was like, you know, it was like, uh, like awe-inspiring. So then when I heard about um, uh, like Peter Jackson doing a live-action Hobbit, I was under the impression he was producing it and Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it. And that just sounded like the coolest thing in the world to me. Because just being a big Guillermo del Toro fan, I've been tracking him since like the late 90s, you know, with Kronos and Devil's Backbone. And then like the backstory of how this film came to be is just a whole other story. Um, It's a wild uh, production story. Um, And then when it came around, I was like, oh, great, the Hobbit film. And then once we once it, once it all came around, I was like, oh, there's going to be three of them. Interesting. Um, so watching it this time around, it was technically, I think I had mentioned off mic that I wasn't so uh, sober the first time I saw it. So seeing it around this time in preparation for this episode was almost like seeing it for the first time. Fantastic. Um, Jonathan, what about yourself? Well, I, I mean, I never read, I never read the book uh, when I was a kid. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I remember seeing it on like my brother's bookshelf and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, a lot of things changed for me when the first Lord of the Rings film came out because that was, I, I'd, I'd enjoyed films and I'd liked films, but it was when I was watching all of the uh, behind the scenes stuff on the DVD uh, and especially on the extended DVDs where they've got like a million hours of, of uh, behind the scenes stuff. That was what got me interested in in, in filmmaking, and uh, and I cite that as you know the 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 moment when I went. Actually, I think I want to do this with my life. I want to do this with my career, and uh, it was interesting when I went to film school. One of the first things people you know asked was like, oh, you know, so what was it that wanted you you know made you want to get into films? And people would be like, oh, you know, Quentin Tarantino, love Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, you know, Martin Scorsese, Akira Kurosawa, and I was like, to be honest, it was just seeing massive battles of goblins i loved it and you know i wanted to know how to do that um and i remember when uh when return of the king came out after return of the king came out and this was back in the day when imdb still had uh message uh like um forums and uh before they shut them down because they became the most horrendously toxic places in the world oh without a doubt but in in 2003 i wrote a little i started a little thread on the return of the king thing uh, that said if they make the hobbit they should have martin freeman uh, playing bilbo 
Mm. And uh, and I was, you know, I mean, and so when when talk of the Hobbit films came about, I was, uh, you know, initially I was really really excited that Guillermo del Toro was doing them. Although even even though I love Guillermo del Toro, there was part of me that goes, it's not going to be right if Peter Jackson's not doing it, whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, but once uh, you know, once I heard that Martin Freeman was actually going to be cast, that was just. Oh, it was it was it was so it was so special. And I remember going to the cinema with my friend to see the first film. And as soon as you see Hobbiton, and you hear that the theme coming coming in, it, it felt like it felt like coming home after like being away for a decade. And it was just ah, oh, yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the um, also you know of course the music by Howard Shore. He comes back, so he gets to use some of those old themes from uh, Lord of the Rings. And and that's uh, lovely. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that with Guillermo del Toro. Is that while I love him, it would have been a Guillermo del Toro movie, not a Middle mm. Earth movie. You know what quite, I mean? Quite it's different. Really yeah. yeah, it's one of those did. films that I, I would I, I'd love to see. I, I wouldn't trade it, but I would love right. to see it as well. You know, uh, because it's like it would a, have been very Dune or, or Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau. Exactly. It, it <laughs> yeah. sounds fascinating. Maybe it wouldn't work on paper, but it sounds fascinating. There's I know the concept art of like his Smaug would have been um, almost like circular, like a wheel or something, like very, yeah. very not, not traditional sort of things. And I think you want Ron Perlman to do the mocap acting. Oh, oh man, that would have been which cool. is a no-brainer, right? Ron Perlman, Guillermo del Toro, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know that Sam Raimi was briefly uh, connected with with taking over in between um, yeah. uh, in between uh, the two directors uh, between you know del Toro and Peter Jackson. Um, and I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting because like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson have got very, very similar uh, roots in terms of like uh, proper like uh, B-movie horror and stuff like that. If you, you watch something like Evil Dead and then you think what Sam Raimi mm. would have done with Gollum or something. Oh, yeah. my God. Like, oh, I, I, I don't know if I do want to see that, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, even though you align, though, yeah. I think so, and um, Raimi has a, a wicked sense of humor. I'm really glad he's going to be doing Doctor Strange, too. I, I think that's, that's a very, very good mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be in his wheelhouse. And uh, I have yet to see the Evil Dead TV series. I know it wrapped up a while ago, but I heard it's rather good. And he, It's uh, worth it. Is it? Yeah, he was. I, I just want to watch the trilogy with my wife because she's never seen it, and I think that would be good to prep her a bit before, you know, there's a zillion boomstick references or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, so on to Hobbit. Unexpected Journey, 2012. God, it never feels like that long ago, does it? Right. And uh, yeah, this movie I saw by myself. I got a beer in a theater because uh, here in Portland, Oregon, I mean, that's what shocked me when I moved here in 2006. Any theater you could go into, you could get a beer pretty much. <laughs> you know, And I, I felt I was used to sneaking them in as a kid. And I was like, really? Oh, okay. But <laughs> it felt strange doing it legitimately. It didn't taste quite as good. But I, 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 I happened to go after work by myself because uh, Havana didn't want to see it, and I, I just was kind of in a rush. And I happened to see it in 3D. I did not see it in the high frame rate, but when this came out, they made a big ballyhoo about, instead of 24 frames per second, it was going to be 48, and there was a lot of uh, press against it. And the theater I saw it at had this hastily made sign saying, we do not offer refunds if you see the 48 frames per second version. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, that can't help like the box office of like that particular uh, screening. Like I, I would have been curious to see 48 frames a second. I just kind of saw the movie on a whim and happened to, to see the, the 3D version, which was good for what it is. But for my money, the best 3D movies I've seen are Jackass 3D. <laughs> and uh, Avatar, as far as the not the movies themselves necessarily, but the but experience. They used to be. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, the experience, of course. 
um, which is why I miss theater so dearly. But there, stuff's opening up in the U.S. slowly but surely. And have, have you been to a theater in uh, uh, where you're from, uh, Jonathan? Uh, I, I managed to go once in uh, in between lockdowns uh, when when cinemas were briefly opened again and, uh, to go and see uh, Tenet. Uh, which was uh, which I'm, I'm really really glad I got to see that on the big screen um, it wasn't you know it wasn't quite the same because I couldn't go with like you know a group of mates and it wasn't a packed screening uh, you know so you didn't get the full um, the, the, the full experience and you know I've been I've been watching some of the bigger films that have been released you know straight onto um, I think in the US it's HBO Max and over here it's Skybox Office things like yeah. Wonder Woman and um, Oh, I can't even remember now, but it's 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 so much, and that you know, it's so much less of an occasion uh, watching a brand new film on your TV, even if it's a nice TV, than it is like going to the cinema. And I I, I cannot wait, I cannot wait to go to get back to the cinema. It's like I miss that smell, I miss those sticky mm. floors, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I I am glad that hand sanitizer will be you know liberally uh, <laughs> uh, distributed in those places now because that's long overdue. But um, yeah. yeah, did you ever used to work at a cinema? No, I didn't. I, I I remember had I had uh, mates at uni who uh, who were working as you know quite quite a few people like getting getting day jobs um, uh, at the at the local cinema that was nearest my my film school, uh, which you know obviously that worked well. And um, mm-hmm. but it was so it was so so easy to uh, for them they'd just be like just come on in, just come on in. So I thought I, I can I can go and watch things for free, which is seems to be the only perk of, of you know, uh, working in a cinema. Uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd just, I'd be lazy and, uh, and not take the job and get all the perks instead. All right, cleaning up a popcorn machine is, is a no joke. Um, but yeah, with, uh, I guess we should, oh, go on, Thrasher. Oh, no, I, uh, I didn't say anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, it, that's always weird in a podcast, right? Someone makes it always like, oh, and I go, oh, wait, just talking. But okay, oh, so let's oh. go. Uh, okay, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk uh, yeah, always a boy. Um, the Hobbit, Unexpected Journey. I mean, it, I mean, here's the thing. Like, The Hobbit, it's a small book. It's lighter in tone. It's uh, not to be dismissive, but it's more of a children's book than Lord of the Rings. I think it's more of a fairy tale kind of uh, thing going on. And the Lord of the Rings were kind of serious, and The Hobbit is, especially this, this movie, right? Uh, the three movies are trying to bridge the gap. But this first one, Unexpected Journey, I feel is closest to the book, and um, arguably one of the better ones of this Hobbit trilogy. Uh, what, uh, do you have any um, thoughts on that? Well, I think it, it doesn't have, uh, unlike particularly the second part, it doesn't really have any filler. It, it just achieves its runtime by letting the scenes breathe a bit more and linger a bit more. Like it, like every every little like everything is just taken directly from the text and given as much space as it needs. It's interesting, dude. You guys, I took this like deep dive this morning. I just at first I just watched like a four minute like oh refresher differences between the movie and the book, and as a as you guys know, with YouTube, it takes you into some weird directions. And I got this, like, very comprehensive <laughs> backstory of, like, the film and Tolkien and everything. And I didn't know about this, but maybe maybe you guys heard, maybe you haven't. Um, uh, when Tolkien's wife was um, getting older, uh, you know, she was declining in health, and they moved to the country for, like, you know, peace and respite and everything like that, which is um, when he started writing The Hobbit. But it turns out, like, three, you know, lots down there was this loud, obnoxious band that kept driving me crazy, and it turns out it was the Beatles. 
and he hated them. He uh, there's a quote where he's just like, "Oh, these young men, you know, making this music. They're trying to become a Beatle or something." And so he um he snatched the rights back up to, because it turns out that the Beatles were a huge Tolkien fans, and they wanted to do a Beatle movie where uh, Paul would play Bilbo. Um, I forget. <laughs> George would be Sauron, and I believe I um, and John Lennon was insistent on being Gollum, I guess. <laughs> Which I think is yeah, it's a just, reasonable fit that. And Ringo yeah, is all the dwarves. Exactly, and um, <laughs> it was just so funny. And because this like offended Tolkien so much, he like snatched the film rights back up and sent him and then sold him to United Artists to make sure the Beatles couldn't make their Hobbit film. Which I just I think is just that's that's better than the movie right there, man. <laughs> I think it's interesting no, what you're saying about like uh, letting the movie, uh, letting the scenes breathe and all of that. Because I, one of the things that struck me when I, uh, so after I'd seen the first Lord of the Rings film, I bought uh, the books and I started reading the first, you know, I started reading the Fellowship of the Ring. And, and my first reaction was, why are they singing all the time? It's just, <laughs> it's, it's constant. And I, and I, you know, I couldn't imagine that fitting in the film. Uh, which is obviously why it's not in there. I mean, you start to get a little bit more of that in, in the third Lord of the Rings film. Um, and I, I watched the extended version of, uh, of, of Unexpected Journey this morning um, whilst I was uh, rocking my little baby to sleep, which was quite nice. Oh. And um, the extended version has that song with the Goblin King in it. Um, yeah. And it feels almost like a musical, like the, it, it, the, the amount of times it dips into songs and stuff like that. Uh, the, the Goblin one, I think, is totally out of place. But I really, really love that um, <laughs> the sense of uh, camaraderie that you get with uh, the dwarves singing together. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it is it's very much because I, I live in Wales here, and it's it feels very much in the sort of the Welsh spirit. You get kind of in the in the valleys, towns, you know, sort of, and you get these uh, colliery choirs that were made up of miners. And sort of seeing these, you know, these 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 hearty kind of men who are sort of coming out from living in the mines and singing together, it it really struck me that like you know it sort of really resonated with me, thinking that actually yeah that is a it's a really nice way of uh, of showing the bond between the group of them, um, and there's that wonderful line that that um, Peter Jackson clearly threw in as to sort of excuse himself, which is when Gandalf says. Even the best stories deserve some embellishment, uh, and, I, and I think that it's just like I love the fact that he put that line in because he's going. Uh, Gandalf said it, so uh, yeah. So what? I'm making three films out of this one book. Whatever. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned the singing because at first I remember I had a similar reaction, like what's with the singing? And then if you watch like you know like old Terence Davies films, you know people are you know harvesting grain and singing as this old very, you know, traditional provincial way of camaraderie mm-hmm. or something that yeah. you did. You, know, you didn't have small talk and stuff like that, you know, especially if you're walking, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know 50,000 miles or whatever, you know, you're going to sing these hearty songs. And when you're all mates, when you're all buds, when you're all tight like that, you know, yeah. I remember just like, you know, getting loaded with my friends being like, you know, that's kind of what you do. I don't know. It was just, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because then at first I was like, that's weird. And then I thought back, I'm like, actually, it's not weird at all. It's very, very consistent. And a real tricky thing Peter Jackson had with The Hobbit, or really anyone that does an adaptation of any sort of this, is Lord of the Rings, you know, you have a character that's a dwarf, a character that's an elf. Like, they're more, the characters are more distinct in the party. But here you have, they're all the same uh, race, more or less, with the dwarves. 
and the, the characters are not as distinct, so they they get to invent more things for for the movie. Not only that, but I, you know, one of the first promotional pictures of uh, this first Hobbit film was of the dwarves, uh, and you know, some of them had beards and mustaches, some of them didn't. And I thought, aren't they looking a bit too sexy? They're not all fat. <laughs> I, <laughs> but you know, you do have the more traditional looking dwarf, the the, the bigger one with the the big like mustache and, and beard and who rolls around and, and all these things. And it, and once the movie gets going and you get used to some of the false noses, I think it's it's fine. But it's uh, at the beginning where they're throwing the plates around. I mean, but yeah, but I think part of the reason, you know, the books had all the, the musical numbers is, is Tolkien, among other things, was a poet. And mm. he, but it's also part of ancient um, British literature tradition. You even look uh, way back to Beowulf, uh, the first, uh, you know, long narrative in English. Mm. or some form of English at that. And that has songs all over the place as well. And in fact, you know, um, a big uh, um, hall of, I don't remember the names anymore, but the big, you know, place where all the warriors have beer after a battle that gets attacked by... Uh, oh, the uh, hate or like that, yeah. Hrothgar, all, all these names are jumping in my head right now. But yeah, so, <laughs> it, and that's what you got. You know, it's part of this tradition and it makes it feel very lived in. I, you know, the the books in a way are more almost feel more like travelogues. They're not really heavy on, on you have a plot, but it, it's a lot of backstory and world building. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're not easy reads either. Um, no, I mean, I, think, I remember somebody saying yeah. that like Tolkien is, is a historian first and a writer yes, second. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's uh, a huge Beowulf scholar. I mean, his, his Beowulf translation, I'm looking at a copy on the bookshelf right now is, is really <laughs> comprehensive. Um, Tolkien is a sharp dude, and he knows his, um, you know, English lore like the back of his hand. But Thrasher, what are some of your thoughts on this uh, this film? Well, something something that I do uh, appreciate, and this is one of the ways that this film sort of more naturally expands on the on the text, uh, is like all all like like all like I love that whole thing where where Bilbo's getting the history of, of this clan of dwarves and we actually see the battle where they lost that where where they're fighting Azog and we see you know we see a Thorin earning his name Oakenshield that scene in particular like first I love that we just flat out get to see it but like that scene in particular it's almost from a completely different movie but I love seeing it like of all the sort of action set pieces that come up throughout this entire film trilogy i feel like that's the strongest there, there's a real and this may be because it's told in flashback but there's just a real there's a real emotional weight to it and it really makes you sort of both hate and fear azog it really lets you get the dwarf sympathy it also lets you see why thorin is the figure that he is and why he's the one who's going to revive their clan and it's also just also it, it it's also something that I that I noticed just the level of violence that this movie ostensibly a family movie gets away with <laughs> lots of arrows going through heads lots of beheadings lots of dismemberment disemboweling like, the Goblin King that is something else oh, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> and, and mm. it's not too much blood like we see the occasional bit of dripping blood but we don't see any like arterial sprays or anything <laughs> and and in a lot of ways that that because like. I've seen a certain level of violence done done to to a body. Like blood doesn't just blast out of you when you're injured. <laughs> um, like I, like it, it, strangely enough, it's like it's just the fact the fact that we don't see blood going everywhere 
oddly enough, gives the violence more weight and makes it a bit more realistic, even though it's happening amid all these fantastical things. Yeah, not seeing the blood, you don't see the sweetmeats blocked out as much. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, you... I mean, this is more of an episodic story than Lord of the Rings, but, I mean, that Gollum scene is one of the most famous scenes in the book for a reason. And it's uh, to see it here that... Um, Anthony, I was going to say Perkins, because we've been talking about Psycho for the past few months, but uh, Andy Serkis uh, doing the motion capture and the graphics uh, allow more subtle detail of like the, the moisture and the wetness on Gollum's skin. Like, what a fantastic sequence. I'm surprised they didn't think of an excuse to throw Gollum in the story more as much as they played around with things. Um, do you think... The opening, that's kind of a wraparound story, works with uh, the, the late Ian Holm and uh, Elijah Wood popping up at the end? It is completely unnecessary, but I absolutely <laughs> love seeing it. Yep, I, uh, I absolutely agree with that. I think, in, in a way, you, you, know, you know how, like, in um, when, uh, when The Force Awakens came out, uh, yeah, it was so obvious that they were doing very specific things to go. Remember the what you loved? Well, we're doing it here um, to try, you know, get everybody on board straight away. And you know, that's how that's how you win. That's how you win a crowd over straight away is by literally, I mean, literally just showing them the thing that they love and then go and then continuing it on. Um, you know, it's it, it, in a way it's it's totally cheap, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> and I and I hate it because it works. Uh, because as soon as I see Ian Holm and then he's flicking over, he sees the, the you know the illustration of Martin Freeman, and then you see Frodo coming in, and then he's going, "Oh, I'm going to go and meet Gandalf," and you're like, "I know you are, because I've seen it in that other film." Oh, and then you're like, "Oh, just, just, oh, go ahead, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm in," you know. <laughs> I'm almost remind, reminded of kind of the pandering of the very last shot of the um, Jim Henson movie Labyrinth where all the monsters and all the characters are dancing around in the bedroom, waving at the screen. Okay. Like it's, it's like it, they could have done something like that to like end this trilogy to kind of be a real kind of slap in the face. Like, Hmm, looks like we should be the Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Like it's, it, it's a bit much, but especially now that Ian Holm has passed, I, I was more moved, I think than before seeing him. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, Ian Holm played the part of Frodo in a very famous BBC radio adaptation of Lord of the Rings. And that they got him as a hobbit it was a nice bit of a connective tissue to uh, one of the gazillion of adaptations of The Hobbit. Um, and, and speaking of actors that have passed, Christopher Lee, I love that he got to do these movies. Even though he yeah. was in really poor health, they had to film them against a green screen. But in... Uh, in one... Oh, go on. He couldn't even move. He, uh, you know, no, yeah. had to like, you know, wheelchair him in, sit him down, uh, mm. you know. And uh, but fair play, it, it, you know, the having those connective ties, it, it, without someone like Christopher Lee, or even like without Kate Blanchett, you know, just um, or yeah. like Hugo Weaving, having those those big characters, mm. you know, sort of carry over, it has such a such a powerful effect. Yeah, and if you're Christopher gonna... Lee is like you you mm -hmm. wouldn't know he was in declining health at the time. Right. But the moment he starts speaking, you get that sinister menace <laughs> of Soruman. Like he's he's still got it. He absolutely still has it. Oh yeah. And there was this kind of like it was like you said, it was almost like a little like upsetting and there's um like really sweet but kind of sad behind the scenes thing is that I guess he was like 
so he would just you know he just would tell so many stories on set that it was actually delaying yeah. production yeah so <laughs> one it was this poor crew person's job literally it was their job to like you know interrupt christopher lee and say like i'm sorry mr lee we need to get we need to get shooting and like working in food service my whole life with like a lot of older clientele you have these you have these moments where you have to like interrupt someone's story or like some great grandfather's being like and that was the first day i saw my daughter and then you have to like walk up like, and night special is going to be steak tartar <laughs> so like my heart went out to not only just uh you know the late sir christopher lee but also the the poor crew guys who had to go on and interrupt this like you know yeah fountain of wisdom of profound wisdom you know and be like oh we have to keep shooting sir you know like it's it's the worst thing to do you know he but was the only one in all of the cast and crew who'd actually met tolkien as well which is uh yeah, which is quite which something is, right yeah Fantastic. and i think he probably met like moses and abraham as well oh, yeah. he's so old <laughs> right and uh oh he uh, there's another great bit from one of the the documentaries they talk about Christopher Lee, and he says, uh, it shows he has a, a sense of humor, and, and he, he more or less says, I'm paraphrasing here, I like playing the part of Saruman because it involves a lot of eyebrow acting. And he starts <laughs> wiggling the big eyebrows around, and if you watch the performance, I couldn't, I kept giggling because I can't get that out of my head, because especially as he gets older, he can't move around as much. So like he has to do it. And it's almost like what you'd see on a stage play. You have to kind of overdo it a bit. Not, not that yeah. it's camp exactly, but uh, that he got to wrap up these token things. And I mean, he, Lee would read Lord of the Rings um, every year for, Oh my God, like decades. Right. So he, he was deeply, deeply familiar with the material. Previously in Zelda two on chat of the wild, until you get to the elevator. Come on, I'm like, stay away from me and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get in the palace, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, it's like just running through. <laughs> That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the change meaning in japanese it means to temper other times we get absolutely smashed so we take one shot every time yusuke uses the ray gun one hour later this is the least coherent episode oh, Sarah, oh, you should... i think your apartment is haunted you can find out more about the spirit hunters right here on the greenlit podcast network what was so speaking of camp i really really <laughs> want to talk about the Goblin King, who's one of my oh, absolute goodness. favorite characters in this adaptation. And I was so delighted to find out he is played by Australian <laughs> comedian Barry Humphreys, who is more well known, uh, at least in the States, uh, as Dame Edna. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's quite it's extraordinary. I, I, I mean, I, it's uh, I, like I was saying earlier, like when um, in the extended version, when he has that song. Um, it literally, it like, you know, the, the camera comes down into the mines and he's there and he literally says, I think I feel a song coming on. <laughs> and it is, it is, he's so camp. He's so out of place. Yeah. And it, it literally, if it was, I mean, I can't think of many actors who could, who could pull that off and make me go, yeah, go on then. Have less of a sing. Why, why not? Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those just like full body and soul performances that, um, 
Yeah, you, you need somebody. I mean, I, I'm still a little disappointed that they didn't do a labyrinth crossover and have the Goblin King be David Bowie. Oh, um, yeah. And essentially, you know, Barry Humphreys is ostensibly the opposite of David Bowie. But uh, <laughs> but it is it's it's fantastic and uh, yeah I could watch him I could watch I could watch that Goblin King just speak his lines all day and uh, and a lovely lovely way he he meets his demise um, where he sort of challenges I can't remember who it is who kills him now but he he says you know oh what are you going to do and then they just slash his guts open and he goes well, that'll do it <laughs> and then he kills over it's wonderful wonderful. I think and he like, still sort of gets the last laugh when after the dwarves have sort of made their escape <laughs> by sliding yeah. down that shaft, and then his yeah. corpse just lands on <laughs> We were talking earlier about the uh, like seeing it in 3D and the high frame rate and that, and I, 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 I have seen the high frame rate version, which is horrible. Um, it <laughs> just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it, do, it doesn't, it's, it's a, it's, it, it should work for the reasons why Peter Jackson wanted to do it, but it just it just doesn't because we're used to watching TV at a higher frame rate, so it just looks cheaper. But seeing it in 3D, I, I made the deliberate decision to go and see it in 2D first, just 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 in case the 3D wasn't that good because I think, like you guys said, that there's very there's few examples of it being done really really well, um, and it can often be crowbarred in and, uh, and and you know and sort of ruin the experience a little bit. But on the second viewing, I went to go and see it in in 3D, um, not in high frame rate, um, just just in 3D. And the entire sequence in the Goblin Town, my goodness, is one of the best things I've ever seen in 3D. Like it was, and and you know, it, you just you felt the scale of everything. You felt the scale of the Goblin King. You felt uh, you, how how dangerous it all was. You know, with all of the rope bridges and everything, and everybody just like a, a toenail away from falling into a chasm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, that whole sequence is is great fun. It's got some great action in it. It's, you know, like we said, it's got Barry Humphreys being amazing in it. But uh, yeah, I didn't expect to be as wowed by that in 3D as, uh, as I was. Um, but that was superb. Certainly. And um, I mean, the way this film ends isn't very satisfying, but it, it's tricky because, you know, is there a good place to end when you're kind of stopping in, in a book? And with the, with like everyone goes up in a tree, and then it's the end, right? And it's, I almost wonder if it would have been better if they would have ended at a different place. Um, well, I feel, I feel like either it needed, it should have ended with like a sigh of relief when they finally get out of the caves and reunite with Bilbo, or yeah, yeah. it probably should have ended when they're cornered on the cliffside by Azog, so you get that nice cliffhanger moment. But instead, it, it does linger, and that was something I even noticed when I saw this in the theaters. I remember thinking, wow, this movie has been on for a long time. <laughs> and then within a minute of me thinking that, the credits started to roll. So <laughs> I didn't mind. But when I rewatched it for this recording, I actually fell asleep. Like, I fell asleep right before Goblin Town. I woke up in time to see Goblin Town. <laughs> the length really weighed on me on this viewing. Yeah. Yeah, second I, time through, I think, like, one of the things is that it's, like, a, it's one of the bad segues that we see in, like, the prequels is that we have, like, a lot, few too many moments of, like, sitting down in councils. <laughs> and, you know, when you have this magical, fantastical world of all this, you know, beautiful shit, you don't, it's, it really drags it down when you have people sitting down and explaining why <laughs> it's so great. You know, it's, it's just Especially like, when oh. all of the actors are so in love with their own voices as they are in this. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. well said, yeah, that very 
very regal, you know, way of depicting <laughs> oneself. <laughs> I, uh, so when the film was initially, it was just going to be two films. Um, it was going to be An Unexpected Journey and There and Back Again. Um, and I think, I mean, Peter Jackson, there's, there's an intro. I, uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys will probably cover this when you come to the third film, an episode on the third film. But there's even, it's almost like an apology at the start where Peter Jackson yeah. says, look, I know we started making this film. We had no idea what we were doing. We we're making it up as we go along, uh, which is why it's a bit of a, a bit of a mess. Um, and, and I do think that trimming the film down to, to a two film, uh, uh, you know, uh, set would have been, would have been, better because if you take out all the chaff then you're left with you know two films of really really good stuff and apparently it was initially uh, going to be so the, the barrel riding sequence in the second film that was going to be the climax of the first film and uh, and and it was going to end with uh, like the silhouette of uh, bard appearing with his bow uh, as this you know mysterious sort of figure and that was going to be that was going to be the end um, of the first film um i mean for, for me like watching it there are the two two scenes that I that I love that that always make me well up a little bit. The first is when is that scene when uh, they get out of the mines and um, and Bilbo has that lovely little speech about you know um, them not having a home and him wanting to help them reclaim it. I mean I've got goosebumps just thinking about it now. It's pathetic. Uh, but then also that moment right at the very end when um, Thorin says you know. Um, so never have I been more wrong. Gives Bilbo a big hug, and it's just I I, I love those two those two dramatic moments. Um, but then yeah, I it it, it like we say it's episodic. Um, all of these films, and uh, and that you could easily like because it's not the end of a story. You could easily stop stop the film after any of the scenes and go right. Well, we're just going to carry on in you know in another episode because if you broke the films down into say a ten part miniseries. You could do that quite easily because there aren't these big cliffhangers, even though, you know, the tease of seeing Smaug's eye right at the end is is, is very exciting. Um, yeah, it's always going to be a tricky thing. I remember a friend of mine like complaining about the first Lord of the Rings film because I was like, have you seen it? It's the greatest thing that's ever existed ever. He was like, yeah, it's good, but I didn't like the ending. I was like, yeah, I know, but you don't stop like Gladiator a third of the way through and go, didn't like the ending. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's never a good way of doing it, apart from obviously in the modern world where uh, tr- trilogies are kind of uh, are, are an established thing and you know you're getting into a trilogy before it becomes a trilogy, unlike, you know, say with like Star Wars or something, which made more films as it went along. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. With the, when you mentioned Lord of the Rings, I, I brought up something I hadn't thought of in a long time. When I saw, uh, I was, you know, in the United States when they marketed um, Fellowship of the Ring, the first Lord of the Rings film, they didn't really stress that it was a trilogy. Mm. And so uh, I was watching some other movie like a, a year later and they showed a preview for The Two Towers and there were these uh, high school kids behind me. And they're like, oh shit, they're making another one. Oh wow! Like it, it was like totally new to them, and I and I was, yeah. was a bit jealous. I'm like, I wonder what I, yeah, um, you know, what I would have thought being surprised by the trailer because if you are familiar with the book or other adaptations, it's like, oh yeah, no, Gandalf the White. Oh, they're telling quite a lot here. Uh, yeah, see, but but, was, but to see the excitement on someone else's eyes was very neat to see. It was funny um, because when the film was coming out, because, you know, there was news of a swing around us forever. It felt like forever anyhow. And I remember a lot of friends of mine and other people kind of scuttling around, be like, oh, I'm going to reread The Hobbit. I'm going to read the stories. 
And I thought about it, and I was like, no, because then I'm going to do the thing where I'm like, that's not in the book. When you have that, like, <laughs> kind of referential connection, you know what I mean? The, the contextual um, connection. Then sometimes when you cut that off, it's kind of like you can appreciate the film on its own terms a little bit more. And I know that's really hard to do with something that's, like, so beloved by so many people. Me being one of them, it's just been a long time since I've read them. Um, and I thought that kind of was a, more of a refreshing experience was kind of having familiarity with the material, but not having like an intimate knowledge of it. I think it's one of the most common conversations I've had about films. Uh, and it's something that I, I, I didn't realize I was, I felt so passionately about until I got into my first argument about it, about the, Oh, is the book better than the film? Or, you know, is the, is the whatever better than the whatever? Right. And it is. And I'll be really interested to hear what you guys think about this because I, 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 I hate comparing the two because to make something work as a film, uh, you need to do something very, very different than make than how you would do how you would make a story work as a book, you know. And um, if you look at, uh, say, the Harry Potter films, the more uh, the, the more distant they got from the source material, the better the films were, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I mean, you want to because, example, The Shining. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it's not going to. Because if you just put the book on the screen, you're going, well, that's not very good. Or, you know, or uh, we didn't take enough risks or whatever. Because, well, yes, because the story was written as a book. And if you're going to make that work as a film, then you, you need to do things. Like, I mean, if, uh, like, with Lord of the Rings, like, there's, like, a, what is there, like, a 30-year gap between, like, uh, Bilbo's party and when Frodo actually goes off on his adventure. If you're going to show that, like... Mm. It's not. It just doesn't work, you know. And and I I think like something I don't think works in the Hobbit is having this number of dwarves. Like we said, you know, it's they had to go through a lot of effort with the design of them to make sure that they are distinct enough from each other. But then even still, like half of them never like barely get a line in the whole trilogy. Um, and it's 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 a clumsy thing to see on a film. If you're writing a film about this. I, like without any source material i don't think you'd say right there's 13 people that all kind of look the same and all kind of talk the same and they're all kind of doing similar things you, you wouldn't do that because it's it's it, it's just going to be you're setting yourself up to confuse your audience for whatever reason um and yeah i think that the more the yeah the more liberties that uh, are taken with the book um you stand the chance of making a better film um, yeah, books aren't movies, you know, and yeah. that's the thing I think a lot of people struggle with. I don't know why, but like you said, when you're having like, what, 12, 13 dwarves, it's like you don't really connect with any. I remember thinking, I was like, I, I saw them all pile onto the door this time around. And I was like, you know, like a half hour, an hour from now, like three of them could have died and I probably wouldn't notice. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's only the ones with like, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's the actors that I, I recognize in there. There's like three or four actors like James Nesbitt, James Ken, Nesbitt, uh, yeah. Ken Stott, Aidan Turner and obviously Richard Armitage. And the rest of them, I don't know. I don't know them. I don't really know the actors that well. Uh, maybe Graham McTavish. But then, yeah, right. the, the rest of them, they, you could have left half of them half of them in Goblin Town and I would have gone, oh, yeah, it's fine. There's still a lot of hair and a lot of prosthetics. <laughs> uh. <laughs> hey, that's what's funny, too, is that looking at the cast, like, I, I did a double take. I'm like, oh, yeah, James Nesbitt was in this. I'm like, mm. you know, he's not like, you know, like orc number four. You know, he's one of the main <laughs> dudes, you know. It's just yeah. that when they're under so much makeup and prosthetics and stuff like that, you yeah. kind of lose some of that, which is unfortunate. 
I mean, it is, there's some fantastic casting in here, and I, I like the fact that it is not, you know, um, like uh, A-list actors. Uh, and I, I always get a kick out of seeing, uh, particularly like British actors that I've seen in, that are more well-known for TV, seeing them like on the big screen. Like, you think like 10 years ago, like Martin Freeman was just in a little sitcom called The Office. And now you're seeing him on, you know, massive billboards all across the world. Uh, and then and seeing people like Ken Stott and James Nesbitt, who um, you might like turn on to Channel 3 and see some detective show that's on. Uh, and and they'd be in that. And that's where you expect to see them. Uh, and then you see them in like one of the biggest films of all time. Uh, I always could just get such a such a kick out of that. And, and Richard Armitage, I'm I'm really thrilled that they went kind of with somebody who was really, really right for the part instead of going, right, we need somebody, you know, we need like a Hollywood A-lister and get some somebody who can barely do an English accent uh, in because, uh, you know, because we know that and, and probably cost like half the budget of the whole film. Um, and I think I think he's he's absolutely I think he's absolutely superb. Um, so I think, yeah, from, from top to bottom, the casting, I, you can't you, you can't fault it. Yeah, like, thank goodness we don't have, you know, like, I love Harrison Ford, but could you imagine being like, oh, blimey, we gotta get to Middle Earth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, exactly. Doing some goofy accent, you know? Yeah. Well, you expect with... Bert from yeah. Mary Poppins. Hello, Bilbo, exactly. let's We will, we will. Exactly. It would almost be as bad as, as hearing the Beatles doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Bilbo, we need to go to Erebor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, we do meet you, though. Hello, hello, Bill. Bill, where's my precious? Are you going to have my precious? I got all riddle. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the late Terry Jones there. The God. Um, <laughs> anyhow, yeah. I mean, but Richard Armitage, he's so solid and has so much character work. He has to do so much of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, throughout all the movies, and I was really impressed with the performance. I saw him recently in the uh, TV show um, Hannibal in the third season. Oh, the yeah. Second, the second half, they, they do the Red Dragon story, and he's mm. the, the killer in that. And, I mean, he's completely unrecognizable. His, um, I, I don't know how the, the British actors do it, but they can always pull off American accents pretty well most of the time. <laughs> and vice versa, yeah. it's uh, almost never the case. Yeah. Um, what, what was it, Thrasher? There was one, do you know the comedian? There was some British comedian that said whenever American actors try to do a British accent, it sounds like they're having a stroke. <laughs> I, I don't remember specifically, but I always think of the Goon Show, where whenever they would play an American character, not only would they 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 would play up the bad like the, a bad imitation of American accents, they would yes, really yes. hyper enunciate the R's, but then they would just start saying "hern hern" for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can count the I can count the the, the good. British accents I've heard done uh, on the fingers of well, to be honest, two fingers. Um, <laughs> it, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like I don't know why it's it's, it's that the other way around. You know, you look at like especially with like superheroes. You look like Christian Bale, uh, um, Henry Cavill, Tom Holland, uh, all doing superhero stuff. They're all as English as they come. And uh, well, apart from Christian Bale, who's Welsh, but uh, yeah, it just fits. But it's yeah, I mean, there, there's a. It got down some YouTube rabbit hole, and they just talked to a bunch of British actors, and it's like, what's the worst uh, British accent you've heard done by Americans? And they get to Jeremy Irons, and he immediately has an answer. He starts laughing. He just says anything on Saturday Night Live. 
Well, I think the biggest fault, too, is that, like, no one tries to do, like, a Welsh accent. No one tries to do, like, you know, uh, like a Manchester accent. They just try to do a British accent, which is yeah. whatever you want so, that to be. Or not just a British accent, but Monty Python British, which isn't real British. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. 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 Uh, this, this is what a real British person sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I love that line in, what, the, the Mel Brooks, Robin Hood Men in Tights with Kerry Elways. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a Robin Hood. I can do it. At least I can do a British accent. Because uh, of Kevin Costner and um, <laughs> Prince of Thieves, uh, there's some fun stuff in that movie. But woof, like talking about miscasting. Okay, so we've we've gone all over the place here. Uh, here in sequel cast two, we give movies a rating of sequel yes or sequel no. I give The Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey sequel yes. You know, it's the most um, close I think in tone to the book. It is a bit long. It's a bit like a lazy Sunday stroll, um, and just. Yeah, like it, it, it feels like a fairy tale, I and mean, it, it's rather violent, you know, and uh, but it has some of the best scenes in, in the book, and if you're pressed for time and are just going to watch, well, not pressed for time, because it's by far is the longest, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful um, start to the Hobbit trilogy, being a bit diplomatic here, um, Crasher. Uh, I I, th- I think it's obvious, you know. I, I am thoroughly charmed by this movie. I am going to give yeah, it a sequel, yeah. yes. But I do because I didn't get a chance to talk about this earlier. One sure. of the reasons I'm going to give it a sequel, yes, is uh, Sylvester McCoy as oh, Radagast yes. Brown. Not so good. Not only is he my favorite classic Doctor Who actor to play the Doctor. <laughs> But he's also one of the few people from Doctor Who I've had the pleasure of of actually meeting. He's he's a wonderful guy. He's a wily old rascal. Um, <laughs> and, but beyond that, he just he just plays this delightful oddball stoner wizard who loves his critters, and like all the weird eccentricities they give him. I just find it such a charming performance. Like nobody gives a damn about Radagast. I don't, I've don't. i never heard anyone say, you know who I like in, in, in the Tolkien Middle-Earth stories? Radagast the Brown. But th- they give him so much to do. They make him an important part of this story. Uh, and I also find it charming, because he he is, a, he is an older gentleman. Uh, he, like, I, I kind of love that in this movie, you can obviously tell when it's a stuntman in his costume, <laughs> but it works. Like it just, it just sort of makes it seem all more fantastical. Yeah. Absolutely. It, uh, interestingly, he was, uh, he was up for contention to play uh, Bilbo in uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, I think could have been, oh, uh, could have been an interesting okay. fit as well, but um, yeah, he's wonderful. I mean, like you said, nobody, nobody cares about Radagast the Brown, but yeah. for five, five minutes in, in the film, uh, there, there, I, I would, I would have killed people I love to save Sebastian the Hedgehog. Uh, I was, oh, yeah, yeah. no, great animation, I, I, and yeah. and Sylvester McCoy, uh, who can forget him as the Elven King at the end of the Dungeons and Dragons movie from two thousand. <gasps> no, uh, no, yes. Tom Baker was the Elven King. God damn it, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, wrong Doctor Who. <laughs> I just I love that face he pulls when he smokes the pipe weed too. That weird cross-eyed like half cross-eyed and... stoner look. Very fun. I um he looks like something out of like a like a European comic or, or just a, just the old paintings or like the old Dutch paintings of people covered in shit. It, it's delightful. Um, and uh, Alex. 
Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. It was funny. I was actually like a little reluctant at first. I was like, oh, I don't know if I didn't remember liking these so much. But actually, sitting it down, giving it, you know, it's it's just desserts. It was um, it was a very pleasurable watching uh, viewing experience. There's, you know, a few flaws. I think there's a few uh, greasy spots where it definitely kind of drags. <laughs> coming close to like a, almost what felt like a grinding halt at certain times and it's a little over long but as a whole it's an enjoyable film like you said it's like a lazy saturday lazy sunday kind of movie you know like you just kind of you know get some popcorn and sit in your jams and you know just kind of veg out and watch some middle earth stuff go down <laughs> and also yeah good shout out on the radagast because i throughout it you know you hear a character's name like oh yeah i remember that or oh yeah you know that dude and then like radagast i'm like i'm not gonna try i don't know what the hell that is <laughs> i'm not gonna pretend <laughs> to know who that is but um yeah like uh, could have been a total nothing character but way to you know give it give it a give it some you know flavor and uh distinction when i last read the hobbit it was a lovely annotated version that had a lot of great illustrations from uh, uh, international publications all over the world uh, I don't know why I said all over the world. That's what international means. But um, with, <laughs> but you know, with the the Radagast only has like is referenced like in perhaps two sentences. Like it's really quite a small thing to to pull out. But what what a memorable meal uh, Sylvester McCoy makes of that character. Uh, Jonathan, you give uh, this a sequel yes or sequel no? I mean, it's an absolute sequel yes from me. I th- I mean, I would watch Martin Freeman do anything, and uh, I think it's it's one of the it's one of the, the finest pieces of casting. Uh, to have him, I think it's, it's the only thing that that uh, I think lets down uh, the, the Hobbit films as they go on is that they become less about him, uh, and and he's in them less. But um, I think I think it's probably my favourite of the three. This one, um, although having said that, I'm now going to go and watch the extended other two, so I, I may revise that. But it's like I said, it, it felt like coming home after being away for a decade, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, might be over long but it's a world that i don't mind being in you know so i'm happy to happy to stay in it even if it does even if it does drag <laughs> yeah i don't recall if they did this when uh, the um battle of the five armies came out but i i would i would much i would love to do like an all-day cinema thing where you see the three mm. hobbits and the three lord of the rings uh it, even though um you know i'm sure there'd be naps involved and it would be rather smelly <laughs> but i've been to a comic book convention i don't think it would be so different so uh, yeah, so uh, we're a bit pressed for time, so we're going to skip to the sequel scene. Uh, if you open up, can you open up the chat here, Jonathan? Yep. And you see uh, the scene Thrasher pasted in there? Aha, uh-huh, yes. So with the sequel scene segment, we just do a, a scene with terrible acting of uh, <laughs> everyone picking apart. So um, since you're the guest, Jonathan, you can pick who do you want to be there. Or, or first, Thrasher, why don't you set the stage, describe the scene. All right, so this is the this is the scene where Bilbo is reviewing the contract with the dwarves, and I got to say the prop for that contract is amazing. I love that like it folds down, but then like parts fold outward <laughs> with like weird sub clauses. It's the best physicalization of an appendix I've ever seen. Uh, that's that's how all appendices should be in books. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so we've so, got so Balin, Bilbo, uh, yeah. Boffer, and at the end, Gandalf. Well, I'm like cameo as Gandalf at the end. I, I'll, I'll get my Gandalf voice ready. Very good. Um, Alex? I'll be Buffer. All right. Thrasher? I'll do Balin. Okay, I guess I'll do Bilbo and Thrasher. Can you do the narration, or the, yeah, the, the sides as usual? Oh, sure. Yep, okay, let's, uh, let's go. Well, it's just the usual summary of out-of-pocket expenses, time required, uh, remuneration, funeral arrangements, and so forth. Funeral arrangements? 
Bilbo reads the contract. Oh, uh, up to but not exceeding one fourteenth total profit of any. Uh, seems fair. Uh, present company should not be liable for injuries, uh, including <laughs> but not limited to aceration, evisceration, incineration. Oh, eh, it'll melt the flesh off your bones in the blink of an eye. <laughs> uh, you're right, laddie. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be f- feeling a bit faint. Think fairness with wings. Yeah, I, 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 I need air. Flash of light, searing pain, then poof, you're nothing more than a pile of ash. Long pause. Nope. Bilbo faints. Very helpful, both of them. <laughs> oh, it felt quite cruel of me there to, to sit back and uh, and, and have um, all the Americans doing uh, doing the legwork there. I, I, <laughs> no, it's fine. I hope our accents weren't weren't uh, too terrible. I would. Um, I'm going to be going to uh, England in a few years. A trip I've put off cool. for most of my life, but I can't wait to go and uh, see the the motherland, so to speak. Well, one day, one day we're going to do one of these scenes, and there's going to be a British character, and we're just going to decide that they're going to have a Transylvanian accent. <laughs> yeah, or like a you know Wisconsin accent or something. I think I just I watched a lot of Ken Loach, so that was a uh, creeping in on my accent. <laughs> <laughs> are you all right, laddie? Ah, 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 ah. Hey, thanks for us of wings. Well, Jonathan, thanks for doing this so much. This was a lot of fun. Do you have? Um, why don't you plug your show? So the podcast is Our Three Cents, O-U-R-T-H-R-E-E-C-E-N-T-S, and it's just a great lot of video game chat built around the structure of counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. We're currently in season three, which is focusing on our top 10 favourite video games, but you can dive in wherever, and if you head over to our3cents.co.uk, you can browse back through all of the episodes, pick out the episodes featuring games that you know and love as well, and have a listen to them. Or you can find us on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. And we also have a YouTube channel if you search for Our Three Cents. Lots of streaming content, other great stuff there as well. We sometimes stream live on Twitch at O3C Podcast. That's the number three. And we're also at O3C Podcast on Instagram. Uh, We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash R3Cents. And if you want to find out a bit more about me, uh, my website is jonathandunn.net. Or you can follow me on Twitter at jonathandunn. Very good. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, my latest book, uh, Podcast You Nerd, 15 Years in Podcast Hill, is on Amazon.com. Uh, and you can find all my books and articles and such at M-A-T-W-B-T.com. Uh, Thrasher? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Uh, <clears throat> and I thought I'd hype something special Uh, for this episode, because there's a Hobbit connection. Uh, So Skirmisher Publishing put out a book called uh, ages ago called uh, Nuisances Director's Cut, which is uh, a which is an expanded edition of their old their one of their their flagship publications, which was a nuisances for D20, uh, which is a sort of tongue in cheek tabletop role playing game supplement. The reason I'm hyping it uh, is that one, I wrote the foreword to the director's (laughs) cut. Uh, but two, I also contributed some new art to it. And one of the pieces of art that I contributed was a flyer uh, advertising for a dwarf uh, burlesque strip show. Uh, and the headline performer in the dwarf strip show is a Throbin Oakenshaft. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> it, it's a delightful piece. I, I hardly recommend you check it out. It's also probably why there's an if you go to drivethroughrpg.com to purchase it, there's an adult content filter. Uh, but it is also available on Skirmish's uh, own website, uh, which is let me let me make sure I'm getting it right. Uh, oh yeah, which is just skirmisher.com. Uh, so look for Nuisances Director's Cut, a uh, forward by me, some cheeky dwarf artwork by me. It's it's it is a delight. You should try and sell that as a T-shirt or something if they'd let you. Um... I probably, I probably should. I do maintain the rights to the artwork as long as it doesn't appear in another gaming publication. I can do whatever I want with it. So mm -hmm. I might have to do that. Very good, Alex. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at crabnebula1914. Um, you can also check out uh, my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. Uh, there are some trailer commentaries and um, some other fun, weird essay films and some experimental, creepy short films. And currently working on a, believe it or not, um, <laughs> a found footage, silent version remake of Back to the Future. Um, it's in progress. Part one is posted now. Um, we'll be wrapping it up uh, shortly. So check it out at the, the Trailer Project on YouTube. Nothing's as much fun as getting lost in editing. It just sucks time like nothing else. Um, all right. Well, um, again, Jonathan, thank you so much. And uh, we'd love to return the favor sometime, be a guest on your show if you have an opening. We'd love that. Very good. Um, all right. Have a good uh, rest of your weekend. Nice meeting you. Yep. Thanks very much, guys. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Well, Take care. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. Um, that was lovely. So... For, no, I thought that went, that went great. Uh, yeah. For SequelCast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thresher. And this is Alex. Saying, Your backs will be broken upon my rack. Middle Earth, Center Earth, as long as it's got a malted milk ball in the center, I'm okay. <laughs> in a hole, there lives a hobbit. No, not that hole, the other one. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates. Blunt the knives and bend the forks. Smash the bottles, burn the corks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates.